Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. Um, I titled today's message, uh, We Have This Treasure in Earthen Vessels. So I want to ask, uh, before we dive into Scripture, you know, we always look at lots of Scripture. Um, wh- what do you treasure? What do you treasure? Family? Oxygen, that's very necessary. What else do we treasure? God's Word, that's treasure. Amen. Friends, amen. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Need to make a correction in your handout. Uh, My spell check, for some reason, vessels has two S's. And uh, it's 2 Corinthians 4, 7, not 2, 7. So, got messed up in my Corinthians things here. Well, let me, uh, let me do some definitional things first. Obviously, the, the definition of treasure is what? Something of great value, right? It's what is valuable. Um, when Paul writes this message in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. So what we place great value on, you gave me a series of things that you treasure. Is everyone's treasure the same? No, right? So what, what determines what you value as treasure? I think there's two major principles that drive the value of a treasure. One is what you believe as an individual, right? If you believe family is important, you will invest in family. If you believe marriage is important, you'll get married and you'll invest in it. If you believe in children, if you believe they're a gift from God, you won't kill them. What you believe really matters. What you treasure really matters. So your belief system drives one of the things that you treasure. If you don't believe that's valuable, if you believe that um, education is, is important, you'll invest in education, you'll pay the sacrifice, You'll run up the bills. You'll do it. You'll go and get a scholarship. You will get your education because you value and you believe it. If you don't, you won't value that and you won't pursue it, right? So what you believe is very, very critical to your value system. But there's another one. The system that you live in actually drives your values. Let me unpack that a little bit. When I'm in, uh, when I'm in India or in Nepal, the, the, the caste system in that system of their uh, location. If you're in a Muslim country, women just got the ability to drive, I understand, in Saudi Arabia. So that system they're in matters as to what you value. Uh, In Nepal, they value a bicycle because our pastors, we get requests all the time, if I had a bicycle, I could make more visits to calls and advance the kingdom. You can't do it in the Himalayas, but you can do it down in the valley. So they don't even dream about having a car, whereas in the United States, what I would value is getting a car. But in Nepal, they value, they, Nepal, they, in Nepal, they value getting a bicycle. So again, what system you're in matters because it gives you indication of what the society that you're in. Well, let's take a world system for a moment. Gold and silver is of great value in this society, there's a spot price for gold and silver. 
the monetary system, dollars. You can trade dollars for pesos, for, for yen. And if the dollar's strong, then the greater value if you value money. So examples of that, family, children. What about if you value freedom? You know, when, uh, when the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, you, you know the story. You've ever watched the movie, Pearl Harbor. It's an awesome movie. And so the next day, many volunteered. After 9-11, I hear the stories of many who signed up and says, oh, no, that is not happening. They're not coming to take this freedom. And so people have sacrificed. Go to Arlington and look at this. You, you will be brought to knees in Arlington. If you've ever buried a serviceman who gave his life, I'm telling you. you. Value freedom, you believe in that system, you will sacrifice for that. And so, what are the treasures that we value in Jesus Christ? If you're an atheist or a Satanist, and I've had arguments with both, you don't value the kingdom. In fact, you mostly hate it or don't believe in it. So you would not value anything associated with the kingdom. In fact, you might, when the disciples of Lucifer got together a few months ago to pull down the government in Raleigh, and we sent teams up there to pray against it, and they never showed up. We prayed about They don't value Christian. In fact, they hate it, and they work against it. But we who value the kingdom in Christ and the treasure that comes with it, what are the benefits of what you treasure? Well, we know what this is in the kingdom of God, Jesus Christ, eternal life. How valuable is that? What's the cost of that? The Son of God gave his life, so it's pretty costly. But there are benefits to that treasure, the benefits of treasure belonging to Jesus. That's why when Paul writes, we have this treasure in earthen vessels, he promises provision. We, we prayed it this morning. Protection, power, future, hope. I want to turn to a scripture in Ephesians 3 to start today. Let's look there in Ephesians chapter 3. I remember reading this years ago, and I was, I was like Paul. I just got knocked to my knees. In Ephesians 3, we'll begin in verse 7. By God's grace, I'm going to read out of New Living, but I'm also going to go to King James. Um, by God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege, this is Paul, of serving him by spreading this good news. Though I'm the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you, so you should feel very honored. When I think 
of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with the inner strength through the Spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots are going to go down into God's love and keep you strong and make you have the power, and may you have the power to understand all of God's people should, how wide and how long and how high and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully. Then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who's able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might even ask or think. Glory to him in the church in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Back up on verse 8 where he says, unto me, this is King James, who am less than the least of all the saints. This grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Endless treasures available. See, it's available to all who come to Christ, but not everybody avails them. And this is the message. And then if we look at 2 Corinthians 4, 7, let's turn there. In 2 Corinthians 4, 7, the endless treasures Paul speaks about being in these earthen vessels. 2 Corinthians 4, it says in verse 7, we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, and it's not from ourselves. We're pressed on every side by trouble, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're hunted down, but we're never abandoned by God. We're knocked down, but we're not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be seen in our bodies. We live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believe in God, so I spoke. We know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present himself together with you. Verse 16, that's why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles, they're small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us the glory that vastly outweighs them and lasts forever. So we don't look at the trouble that we now see. Rather, we fix our gaze on that cannot be seen. For things that we now see will soon be gone. And the things we cannot see will last forever. Endless treasure. Man, I've been uh, really 
impacted by the cost of the kingdom. Um, my friend Elliot Tepper, we've been friends for years, 20-something, over 21 years, and my daughter Laura, youngest daughter, served there in Spain at his ministry. He's coming here. Actually, I've invited him to come and preach October 4th. So, Bishop, I was going to have you preach that day. I'm going to move you over just a bit. He's in from Spain, and he's going to come. And, man, an amazing testimony story to he, he ministers to the uh, prostitutes and heroin addicts, and we've been, he's the real deal. <laughs> we've served and ministered to his leaders, done breaking free sessions there, and served in the Casa de Chica house where they detox heroin addicts, cold turkey with the Holy Ghost. And the recovery rate is far beyond what the natural order of things can do, because the power of God is real, <laughs> right? We've seen it with our own eyes. We made you experience the love of God, that it's so great you can't understand it. Well, we have. We've seen it. And Elliot's going to come. He's, he's such an amazing guy. But then right after that, uh, Abner Suarez called. He's going to come. We're going to do a prophetic conference here, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night, October, I think that's 16, 17, 18. I'll get through the dates, but we're going to do it. And yeah. Yes, it's all prophetic just before the election, we believe. All right, look at your outline. The kingdom, of, I've been covering this the last couple of Wednesday nights, but I'd, I'd like you to turn to Matthew 13 and verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like, these are, there's like eight or nine parables here about what the kingdom is like, what heaven is like, what will happen. There's a, definitely the sorting. We've covered this the last few weeks. And, but I want to look at verse 44, Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered. It was hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again, sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field. Now, here's another concept, kind of parked there. I want you to think about the treasure and the field and the cost to get it. Now, turn with me to Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, the rich young ruler. So, turn to the right, Mark 10, and let's begin in verse 17. Mark 10, 17. I'm going to build these blocks, and then I'm going to show us what I believe the Lord wants us to see this morning. The rich man, Mark 10, verse 17. Now, Jesus started out on his way to Jerusalem, and a man came running to him, knelt down, and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit life, eternal life? What an amazing question. I hope you've all asked that. What do I need to do to, those listening by live stream, what must I do to receive eternal life? I tell people who are struggling with, I'm having hard work with my faith. I said, well, you know what? Just pray. God, if you're real, show me. If you're real, show me. And if you believe that as a real honest question, he will. He goes on. He says this, what must I do to, to receive eternal life? What must I do? Now, I want you to see Jesus now gives them the works of the law. Why do you call me good? Jesus asked, only God is truly good. Of course, he's God. 
But to answer your questions, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commands since I was young. Wow, what a statement as a righteous man. Now, Jesus didn't challenge him like, what about, you know? Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him because it was an honest question. He was in pursuit. There's one thing that you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. Now, here's where, remember, it sounds like works salvation, right? Do the great commandment, do all the commandments, and you'll work your say. But Jesus didn't leave him there, <laughs> right? Now, Jesus didn't, he didn't undo the law. The moral law is still in place. But faith without works is dead. We know that from the book of James, right? So now he introduces faith. And it's going to be faith in him. It's going to be, now, okay, so sell everything. I want you to get rid of the treasure that you value more than this question you're trying to answer about eternal life. It is the, it is the idol in your life. It's the false God. It is the fool's gold that you have believed in. And you've got to have to get rid of that if you want to walk into eternal life. So Jesus goes right to the heart of that matter. And here's the response. Looking at the man, he says, I have genuine love for you. Go sell everything. Give all your possessions. Give them up and follow me. The man's face fell. And he went away sad for the many, he had many possessions. Jesus looks around. The disciples now get all wound up, right? Because what happened? Peter, James, and John, Andrew, they left their fishing business. They dropped their nets, right? They fished all night, and they caught nothing. And so Jesus said, push your boat out, put the net out, and the boat almost sunk. And Peter said, forgive me, God. I'm, you are the Son of God. I'm a sinner. He says, come, and I'll make you fishers of men. And they drop everything, and they follow. And we know that Peter was married. In the book of Acts, it says, Jesus went to his mother-in-law's house. She was sick. There's no mention of who they were married to, how many children they had, but we do know that they gave up everything and they became missionaries. We know that Peter dies crucified upside down in Rome the same day that Paul is beheaded. They paid a tremendous price. And it's a good question to ask. Peter asks this question. He says, they look at him and he says, in verse 23, how is it that, 26, he says, the disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and says, humanly speaking, it's impossible, but not with God. Everything's possible with God. Then Peter speaks up because, well, we've given up everything to follow you, he said. Yes, Jesus replied, I assure you that everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children or property for my sake and for the good news will not only receive return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, property, along with persecution. Well, wait a minute, that's got to be a typo. That's, that, what, I got to go to King James on this one. 
Peter began to say, Lo, we have left all to follow you. Jesus answered and said, Verily I say to you, there is no man that hath left house or brethren or sister or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospel has not received a hundredfold now times houses, brethren, sisters, mothers, children, lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. Many who are first shall be last and many of the last shall be first. This concept, I believe the Lord has been showing me that I have looked at the suffering. I, you know, I've preached it. I've, I've done my best to walk in. But I have a revelation that is coming that I think many of the body of Christ, I don't know about you, but when you're going through a trial, I've, you know, counsel people all the time and prayer ministries, people come and ask for counsel advice, and myself, my wife, and it's like, the first thing I'll ask is, why is God letting this happen to me? Is God really good? This can't be good because God's supposed to be good, but look, it's not good. And we go to this place, as Bishop said, that was a great prophetic word, the devil's a liar, right? Human nature is also deceptive. And he sits there and it's like the devil chirps in your ear and he says, you call that good? You can't trust God. What a liar. When we look at some of the things that are going on in your field where there's great treasure, that you've now discovered that Christ is this treasure, the endless treasure of Christ. I want to give you a concept. I believe we're the field. When we discover that the treasure of God in us, remember you are the living stones, 1 Peter 2. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're the fiery living stones that are being formed together as the temple of God. Know ye not that you are the temple of the living God? When that treasure, when we become the revelation of the treasure of this Christ in us, the hope of glory, this Christ who lives in us, and we are these fragile clay jars that carry this treasure this endless, unfathomable, unsearchable richness that's in Christ. It, your mind can't get a hold of it. My brain can't wrap around it. But he says, you are priceless, and I died for you. You know, we see there in number one, and I believe there's treasure hunters among us here. I'm surrounded by treasure hunters. You're after the treasure. I see it. I know your lives. I walk with you in your faith, the struggles, the spy, all the stuff, the things you've been broken, abused, and taken advantage of, and you pick yourself up, and we're after the treasure. We know what it is. And Now, number two there, the rich man, he came to Jesus, and he said, what can I do? But he went away from Jesus what he was unwilling to do. The Lord ever asked you to do something, it's like, oh, oh no, God. Oh, oh, no, God. This week, I don't know if Pat's listening to my live stream. Bless you, Pat. She was sharing. We were doing prayer ministry with a lady from another church and this week. And Pat is so funny. When uh, we were getting ready to go to Mozambique, and um, she told God, I'm never going to Africa, God. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm not going to be something on the lowest food chain level. I'm not going there. I used to mess with Pat. Pat would always say, you know, she thought that the, uh, the real sacrifice was being on the third floor of the Ramada. So I'd mess with her. I'd say, oh, we're going, we're going to stay in tents, and we're going to be in Maputo, Mozambique, and we're going to go in the bush. And she goes, oh, great. Well, you and your, my husband have a great time. I'm not going. And uh, her testimony is never tell God that you're not going to do something. Just, it's, not a, it's not a high thing to do. I don't recommend. And so she has a dream, and three numbers come up in her dream. And it's repetitive all through the night, three numbers. She's like, God, I don't know. And she wakes up in the morning. What the heck are those three numbers? So she comes in to me and says, what? I had this dream about three numbers. And I'm puzzled. And I asked the Lord, I said, huh, why don't we, so I have a world map. So I go over on the world map in my conference room there. And I look at longitude and latitude. Those three numbers were the exact longitude and latitude of Maputo, Mozambique, and the place we were going after that. And she goes, oh, no, no, no. So now it comes down to, oh, my God, I'm going to the place where lions can eat you, and they have bugs and everything. And like, Yeah. And it was, it was an amazing testimony of what God did in the midst of that, and she was faithful to go. So there's this thing where sometimes we say, I'm not willing to do that. Lord says, okay, I, testimonies of others who, I think it was, I think it was Reinhard Bunke who, when he was celebrating all the millions that came into Christ in Africa, I think his testimony was, he was the third request. He, God had asked two others to do it. So, anyway, I want us to see that sometimes we have to be willing to lay it all down. So let me, let me unpack this a little more. Number three, sometimes people see the field and they might even handle the treasure. They've, they've tasted and they see, but they're willing to sell all to possess it, which was the condition with the young man, the young ruler. And what if we're the field and the treasure is really him? Second Corinthians, that should be 4, 7. Now, I unpacked this in great detail on Wednesday night, but I want to just introduce this concept. You ever hear the thing business leaders are asked, well, you're going to have to make an executive decision on this one? In other words, the staffs, there's all sorts of conflicts in it. My staff has come to me and says, well, we're all split on this. You'll have to make an executive decision. And so you make the executive decision. Generally, most everybody's not happy with it, but it, it's for the best or the, the purpose of is to advance the, the betterment of the business or the family or the church, and you, you ask God's heart for that to make that decision. But ultimately, that executive decision results in activity. Well, would you agree that in the case of Job, we, we unpacked Job a lot on Wednesday night, would you believe that God made the executive decision for Job? Right? Now, you, we, we, we tried to unpack this. It didn't seem fair. And you know, I spent time, go look at, um, go look at uh, Job chapter 3. It says, that which I've greatly feared, that which I've greatly dreaded has come upon me. And he had children that partied. Go look at chapter 1. Go look at chapter 2, 3. They were party animals. Says, In case my children sinned, let me sacrifice for them. And so we see that God used Job to punish Satan. 
Yes? Didn't he? he? Satan comes and says, yeah, well, the only reason Job blesses you is because you gave him all the stuff. Let me take down the wall of protection around him and let me take his stuff and I'll, he'll curse you. God says, okay, go ahead. Comes back, Satan then comes back into him and says, well, I took all his stuff, but I'll tell you what, he still has his integrity, but if you let me take his health, then he'll curse you. And there, what does he do? He takes his, yeah, he says, but you can't kill him, right? And so what does he do? The boils, he even sends his wife and says, man, Job, you just need to curse God and die. You're really ugly, buddy, looking like that, and right? Sometimes the people that are there to help you the most don't help you. I often hear that in the body of Christ. Where's my brothers and sisters? I'm going through the dark side of the mountain. And Sometimes you got to be just with God. And Job's three friends, they're no help. They go, you must have sinned, Job. Look at all the stuff you did. And like, yeah, that's real helpful. And so God made an executive decision because what Satan failed to do, we just read that, God uses the sufferings and the glory to show the principalities and powers that a man or a woman who loves God, who will not surrender, they will honor me and I will give them endless treasures and blessings that you, Satan, will never have. So when we look at this, it's like, whoa. But I don't like that executive decision. (laughs) Now, what if he had come to Job in advance and said, Job, just like he did with the young ruler, what if the young ruler was given the option, if you'll sell all that you have, you'll have eternal life? He didn't give, he didn't make an executive decision for the young ruler. So sometimes God allows us, but he made this executive decision for Job. Didn't give him a choice. Job stayed true, and you know the end of it. Job 42, wow, he blesses the three crazy friends. They get blessed, and God forgives them. Job repents for all of his questioning of why, why, why. And God, were you here when I made this, when I did? You're God. I'm done. <laughs> I, I stopped trying to judge God. And then he gives him double of everything. And I believe, this is my interpretation, those 10 children are with God in heaven. They just got there a little sooner. Here's our problem. We look at life in this little finite picture of our brain. And God says, I'm eternal, and life is eternal, and I can pay back all eternity, anything I need to. So stop looking in your humanistic, limited view of who I am as God, right? And let you trust me in all of it. But, but God, but yeah, but that... That becomes the value of the treasure. Let's unpack this. Number five, the price of the field is the same price for all. It's all. But what's the all? Well, some would say if you took that scripture just by itself, you got to sell everything and then you'll be perfect. I don't believe that's true. Let me back that up with scripture. Turn with me to... Luke chapter 19, verse 5, uh, no, verse 1, Luke 19, 1. Remember the story of Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a way little man, a little man was he, climbed up in the sycamore tree to see what he could see. Remember that in Sunday school? Anyway, 
I don't know, that song stays with me like, wow, I remember singing that one. Okay, Zacchaeus, 19.1. Jesus entered Jericho, made his way through the town, and there was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. So he's part of the swamp of that day, right? He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed up the sycamore tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass by that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name, Zacchaeus. It's interesting how he might have known him, what he known his past or what. He said, quick, come down. I must be a guest at your home today. Zacchaeus quickly came down and took Jesus to his house with great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He's gone to the guest of a notorious sinner. Not just a sinner, but a notorious one. And they all grumbled. See, the religious folks and those who judge and criticize, Jesus is going to hang out with the swamp creature? What is he doing that for? Doesn't he know he's stolen from us? Doesn't he work? know he's the IRS chief guy that steals from us? Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord, and he said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor. Lord, if I've cheated people in their taxes, I'll give them back four times as much. Jesus' response to that? Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Now think about this. So Jesus goes into the tax collector's house. He's been a crook. He's robbed people. But what happens when he starts going to the lady he stole from and says, I'm sorry, I stole from you. Here's four times I took from you. Then he goes to the four times I took from you. Will you forgive me? And the word starts going out with, whoa, something's changed with this dude, right? And then the poor man who has nothing he sells half of his wealth, and he's very rich. I don't know what that number is, but he takes half of his wealth, and he starts distributing it to the poor. You think his testimony and his experience with Christ showed that he is a true son of Abraham? Something's happened to this swamp creature, right? And so we see that salvation has come. So here, here's the rich young ruler. His idol was all of his stuff, and he wouldn't part with it. Zacchaeus... It was his thievery and his brokenness, and he didn't require him to give it all. In fact, um, Elliot says, you know, if that were the case, then Christians would all be destitute. We just sell everything. We'd all be impoverished, and that's not the kingdom. And so, in fact, but if you make your wealth and your money, is it your God? He'll find a way to make sure you probably struggle with not having it. And so, but if you're willing to give it away and the God, yeah, give this, people come. They gave away this and they gave away that. I got a friend, he gave away sailing boats, he gave away cars. And it's like, God told him, and you know what? He's always been blessed. And just that willingness to, what do you say? I will do what you say. So number six, consider Zacchaeus, right? He didn't sell it all, but what he did give was his heart. And isn't that the ultimate treasure? To love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, soul, and spirit, and strength. Right? He said that in Luke and Matthew. And so, number seven there, 
What if our willingness to sacrifice our hurts, the humble lives, the broken lives, our sin, the self-pity, the triumphs, the honor, and a few of the material things, what if that's the buying of the field? What if that's the currency of heaven that buys the field? What if the trials, number eight, what if the trials of this life that God permits are actually God's love for us? There, in essence, I think is it. If you will start, remember he said, you're going to have the glory of God with all the things, houses a hundredfold, and sufferings and persecution. I think, what, that, how's that tacked on there? Because it is part of the value of the kingdom that you will have. And all this, the times that you went through this, this thing, you're almost broken to the point you wanted to give up. It was done. And you picked yourself up and God came and you said, God, I don't understand. I don't like this, but I give it to you anyway. That becomes the treasure that now is in the field. Here in the field, in the heart of the field. Well, you didn't deny me. Perhaps God's, number nine, perhaps God helps us lovingly buy the field and find the true treasure of his son by our journey through the losses and the hurts, the false accusations, the threats and the wounds, and we still hold on to his love in spite of it all. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Perhaps, number 10, perhaps God helps us make the payment when we say yes despite when life makes no sense. We may not comprehend the mystery of God's dealings, but we must never doubt his motives. We have all suffered. We've all journeyed. Now we're prepared to lose, spend, and sacrifice all that we might gain God and his eternal kingdom. Even those executive decisions, we say, no, God, no, 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 God. But if we'll get the eternal view on this, I believe God will really bless us. So I want to uh, invite the ministry team, if you'll come. And I want to invite our worship team, if you'll come back up as well. If there's a part that you've been battling that you've had trouble trusting God, or maybe maybe it's something that's happened in your past. You know, I, I've done a lot of really deep. I was doing one recently from a lady from another location, church. And um, I'm always amazed at the, the stuff that people go through, but they're still in the fight. They're still after the treasure. The abuse and the brokenness has been turned over to the Lord. and So if you're here this morning, let's just close our eyes for a moment. We're, we're, we're finishing early, and that's fine. So let's close our eyes and just ask the Lord, is there someone that I'm, I'm having real trouble forgiving? If you were to see them or run into them, It wouldn't be pretty. 
or the anger or the hatred in your heart would overpower forgiveness, ask the Lord to do a work in that area. Now, that doesn't mean you forgive, you don't put up boundaries, you let people jump out. No, no, no. You don't put yourself in unsafe conditions. But that's an act of the heart, and there may be a place in your heart where it's just hard to let that go. Jesus modeled that for us. He said, forgive them. As he hung on a cross, I don't believe he felt like it. His body was in total agony. Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they do. It's one thing to forgive. It's a higher level to bless your enemy. Ask God to get them. You can ask the Lord to open up heaven that that person would find salvation. There's an area of your life where you know that you've struggled in unbelief or doubt or anxiety or fear that's there that, that we really have trouble seeing God as the Father who, who really loves us. Some of us have been in circumstances where the Father's not been good. He's abandoned. He's left. I don't, some don't even know their Father. So it's really hard to get a concept of how good a Father would be when He was never there. When He was there, it wasn't good. But that's not God the Father. That's not the echo that we are going to put on Him because His motive is good. We know that if He gave His Son that I might find life, man, that, that's good. And His Son was willing. So, Lord, we just ask now, Father, you do, I'd ask you to do kingdom business in us right now. If there's areas of unforgiveness, unconfessed sin, brokenness, unforgiveness, offense, bitterness, resentment, it'll cost you on the day that you meet with God if that's not dealt with on this side. So we have a choice. What are you willing to do? What are you not willing to do? So Lord, we come to you this morning as a body of believers that are treasure hunters looking for the treasure of the kingdom, the endless, unfathomable depths of the love of God, where even the Apostle Paul in all of his revelation was humbled and fell to his knees when he saw the mystery. God, I pray a blessing on your people today. Lord, I, I know they're hungry, they're searching. Those that are listening by live stream or by radio, I pray the Lord's blessing would enter your house. God, I ask that you'd orchestrate the events of what you're doing, even this day in our families, with our nation, with our city. We have this hope in us that is full of your glory, and we thank you. Is any here this morning that need to rededicate your life or give your life to Christ for the first time, this would be a really awesome time to come and pray with one of our counselors. Or just get on your knees at home and declare that Jesus Christ is now my Lord and Savior. And I surrender, because it's in your surrender that you go free. It's in giving up that you find true life and dying to yourself. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, 
and you will believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So God, this is a heart deal, and we ask now that you'd reach in and do the heart surgery that needs to be done. Any unforgiveness, any place there. So let's, let's stand and we'll be dismissed here. I want to read you. Jesus' half-brother Jude wrote an amazing closing. Verse 20 said this You, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourself safe in God's love. You must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering and rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy still to others, but do it with great caution. Hate the sin that contaminates their lives. And now, all glory to God, who is able to keep you from falling away and bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. All glory to him who alone is God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, all glory, majesty, power, authority are his before all time, in the present, and in beyond all time. Amen.